I was just a blonde kid, five years old, with long hair and not a care. Loved the Smurfs, the Hulk, bubblegum, marshmallows. Too poor for Barbies, so my homemade Cabbage Patch dolls would kiss each other in the dark. My heart, young and free, beat, beat, beating heart, just about to start. Now I'm 10, my dad says, be a man when I cry, when I can't hold on to the fishing pole that's pulling me out of the boat. My mom says, be a girl when I go to church without a dress. No cute girls, no one to impress. Now I'm 12 and feel the twinge, my hair is cut with awkward fringe. My dad's friends look at me and ask, how old is your son? One says, one day you'll love to wear dresses, have long tresses, flirt with boys, throw out your toys. I smile and wish her dead. My sister's friends sleep over. I sneak in, smell their hair, wonder what's under there. Didn't know labels, but Anne of Green Gables made me swoon. Under the moon, she held Diana's hand and I would hold my breath. Perhaps they would kiss? kiss. But Gilbert always got in the way. My best friend wears short shorts, I mean really short, and one day without trying I see this strange and wonderful curve and feel confused and good and warm. Warning, I'm not evil, I'm not the devil, I just love and feel, but no. My heart, careful and shy, beat, beat, beating heart, young and tired. Now I'm 14 and boys stare at me. I pop out of my sister's bra. I'm ashamed, who to blame for making me grow, making me know that boys are not who I like. But I hide inside and kiss them anyway. Their thrusting tongues enter my mouth, their hands wander south and I feel, I just wanna go home brush my teeth and watch Anna Green Gables. Now I'm 16 and less shy. I flirt with guys. I see their use, small but fun. I find a gold mine and a girl with two colors in her eyes. Surprise, I'm in love. Her hands hold mine and people whisper, He said, in there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations. I think she's a liar and I think she deserves mockery. It was something about when I put this hat on, it made me feel like Superman. Black lives are very important. White lives are very important. And to me, all lives are very important. Very, very important. Damn! This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, your boy, Daniel White Hodge. Hey, y'all. Well, how you doing out there in podcast land? Oh, yeah. Double header of profane faith feature this week. Man, the stuff is so deep this week. I had to release two episodes, y'all. Man. Oh, man. Gosh, dog it. So if you're listening to this in real time, 
uh, here in November, in the second week of November, uh, I am I am 2018. Uh, <laughs> I am releasing two episodes back to back. If you're not, it just looks like another two episodes. This is like season three, episode four and five. You know, it's like, what are you talking about, Dan? But if you're listening in real time, it makes sense because like, oh, um, yeah, you got two episodes in one week. So if you haven't, just go back and listen to the last episode and you'll see what I mean. Uh, I gave a talk at CCDA uh, conference, Christian Community Development Association conference, and, you know, I went in. So I ain't going to explain, rehash it here. Go listen to that episode. It's one right before this one. <laughs> but anyways, this week, man, I, 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 y'all, I got a, an amazing guest. In fact, I can't even take up, you know, the time so much here now um, because she's just got an amazing voice. You heard the spoken word at the beginning, right? uh-huh uh-huh yeah yeah see that's what i'm talking about that's that's what i'm talking about right there man she is unbelievable so a couple different things couple different things um one uh i would say that well what i know i wanted to have somebody on to talk about uh being gay being in in, in the lgbtq community i also wanted to talk with somebody who is learned and and can engage in that. And I met Pam uh, at uh, Wild Goose, of all things, right? You know, I, Wild Goose, again, had a great place. And if you go um, if you go back to season two, I have my podcast at Wild Goose. And I've also been on a couple of other podcasts that were there as well. So you can go and check those out. Um, it's a, And that's a much, I, at least for, for me, it was a much more welcoming environment, um, collective folks uh, out there. It's hot as hell in North Carolina. I was in North Carolina, South Carolina. It was one of there. It was Confederate flags flying. But while we were in the festival itself, it was good. It was good. It was good. So um, I, I I heard her speak and I was like, oh, my gosh. I heard her sing. I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I got to get you on. And she thankfully agreed. And I was like, oh, man, thank you so much. So this is amazing. So this, again, with all of my guests, that's the thing. I would say with all of my guests, I could bring them back on. And we could do a round two. And I have done that with some folks. Um, J.R. Forsteros is one of them. Um, you know, I've had him on multiple times. My boy Joseph Boston and I, we're working on some stuff. I'm about to get him on again. Um, there's, there's a whole bunch, uh, there's a whole bunch of folks. So you can check those out in previous seasons. But, uh, so Pam is definitely one of those I'll, I'll bring back. Uh, I think for a lot of reasons I wanted to bring Pam on, particularly this week was because, um, I don't think enough of us are hearing the voices of the lgbtq community and i wanted to put that out there and i get this is podcast so if you're listening you're probably like you know you're on team profane hodge and all that good stuff and everything i get that and i appreciate your support i love you too <laughs> but um you know i i i truly believe that we are at a moment in time where things are changing now, I'm not a futurologist. I'm not a futurist. I, I don't know. I'm not a psychic. I can't tell you what's going to be happening in the next, you know, 50 years. But I do know that we are in a change right now. You can feel it everywhere in Western society. You just can. Um, and even if you're not even woke yet or if you're, you know, like half asleep or whatever, man, it's there's a change going on and it's difficult to just ignore it because it's there. And I think one of the things for me is, is what is this gonna look like? Are we willing to accept this change and move forward as, 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 a, as a body of humans, as the US, as collectively people of faith? 
Um, or will we push back? Will there be war? Will there be armed revolt? Will there be people who just completely lose their mind? I, I don't know. I hope not. I hope not. I believe the majority of people out there don't want something like that. I do believe there are people who want it. Absolutely. You know, because war is money. So people make money off of war. So, of course, it fattens people's pockets. And that's what, you know, that's that. But um, I, I hope it doesn't come to that. I really don't. So, you know, they're not banging down the door right now. So I'm recording this podcast and I had to bring somebody on who just has an amazing story. Uh, the conversation we have is just rich and uh, unique. And I continue to want to have voices like Pam's on Profane Faith podcast because this is what this podcast is about. And, um, you know, uh, I said it last, uh, the just previous episode, right? It's like, I stand firmly for all equality and, and equity, not just on race, not just on gender, but in sexuality and sexual orientation, all of it, the intersections of it, you know. And, you know, if you want to know my story, you can go back to season one, episode one. I wasn't always this way. You know, I was raised in a very fundamentalist home, had very rigid conservative views of the Bible for a long time in my life. So um, I didn't wake up like this. This is, you know, I'm in, and, and here's the thing. I hope that in five years, I'm not where I'm at right now. I hope that I've matured in my own ideological you know, theological thoughts and and where I'm at. I hope I'm reading somebody new. I, I hope I'm not still there. Otherwise, I will be turning 60, 70, and 80, you know, and still holding on to what was. That's the problem I feel like right now with a lot of organizations, that we're, we're still holding on. We love nostalgia. As a society, we love it, right? We love... You know, uh, um, for example, in movies, you know, we we love cameos, right? I, I know I love them. And we, I, we, we love seeing back because we can always see the past in such a, a bright lens. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We can always see the past and then think, oh, my gosh, I remember what it, it's, it's like the people who say this is not the America I know. I'm like, uh, what? When, when was that? When was that? For gay, trans, black folk, when, when was it great? Tell me. 1880? Oh, yeah, that was real good. If you were a black, trans male, oh, psh, that was the best time for you, right? <laughs> Hell nah, and it still ain't. So I'm asking myself, man, nostalgia, I don't, I, yes, it's great. We can talk about back in the day and all that stuff like that, but I don't want to get to my twilight and I'm still holding on to shit, okay, from 40 years ago. I'm hoping that I can push along the next generation of thought, the next generation of people who are moving the needle forward, who are doing bigger and greater things than me. You can hold me to that. I'm put, that's why I'm putting this right now on digital audio. Uh, I, I, I want to be held, I hate the word being held accountable, but for lack of a better word, I'll use some of my evangelical language, right? I want to be held to the fire. There we go. That's a little bit better. Held to the fire on that statement. Um, one of my goals and missions is to, uh, you know, give folks, you know, platforms. Because I wasn't given that, you know. Um, I've gotten to where I've at, and I don't want to sound arrogant with this, but I've gotten to where I'm at largely because I've had to go to conferences myself. No one took me to the American Academy of Religion and introduced me to people. Well, Craig did some of that. I will say that. Craig did some of that. But for the most part, I've had to go to other spaces and create, right, these things. When I was doing my PhD, I didn't, I was, I didn't even know about presenting. You know, I know PhD students right now who are out there presenting and meeting and hobnobbing. I didn't know anything about that. So I, I was already graduating behind the gun. Um, so 
man, y'all, uh, you know, I just don't want to be one of those folks. I want to be able to somebody to pull somebody else along or to bring somebody else along or to, or to, or to hold somebody else up along the way and say, you go forward and do better than I did. Right. Um, and so I want to, you know, I want to continue to live that out. I want to continue to live that out. And um, I don't know. For me, it's 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 about living through where I feel God has really, you know, called me to. And I think that calling again, that's I know that's evangelical language. I get it. But I really do believe that that changes like, you know, however we look at God and the the mystic and the the far reaching, you know, uh, connections of the spirit. Right. I think that when we when we really sit down and think about it, I think God edges us along in a way that is palpable to us at the time and context and moment that we're in in time. Um, so for me, it's it's it, you know I feel I see a lot of Christians just kind of just stuck in the same circle. We're just kind of recycling the same sto Bible stories. We haven't put no new spin on it. It's almost like you know you dating the same person, and, and you know it's just kind of like, all right, is this it? This is all we gonna do? Like I already seen you naked and everything. Like I'm I'm good. You know it was cool. You know at the beginning, but now it's like, mm, what are we gonna do? I'm gonna spice it up. You know do some role playing. You know what I'm saying <laughs> some theological role playing, right? <laughs> so. I mean, that is, those are some, those are some of the things that I, that I hold, uh, intention, you know, and something that, you know, that motivates me, you know, cause it is, it's easy as a speaker, as somebody who has a little notoriety, it's easy to get blown up and be like, yeah, I am good. Hell yeah, man. Y'all gonna have to do the same thing I did. No, man. If I can make it better for somebody else, that's what I want to do. So hold me to it. Y'all hold me to it. Hold me to it. Hold me to it. All right, let me get to Pam, because I know I'm taking up time, but I just kind of wanted to break that down. Uh, appreciate y'all for listening. Uh, Pam Rocker is, oh my gosh, she's an atypical activist. She's an award-winning writer, spoken word poet, musician, and speaker. She was also chosen as one of Calgary's top 40 under 40. All right, I'm going to put her website in the show notes, as always, pamrocker.com. I'll put that in there. LGBTQ2S plus equity, faith, love, and hard laughter are her passions. She seeks to communicate with humanity and humor and challenge prejudice in non-prescript ways. Huh? What about that? She's had training in uh, playwriting, screenwriting, marketing, and theology in the U.S. and Canada. But life and experience have been her best teachers. I mean, you can't argue with that. For many years, she's worked uh, for the full inclusion of LGBTQ+, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer people in faith communities and beyond. That sounds serious, and you know what? It is. But laughter and story are the most powerful tools we have. And uh, she says that they are integrated into everything that we do, and that she does. The process of taking serious and sometimes controversial topics and drawing out their essence into something we can all connect to, learn from, and find joy within is one of her greatest goals. And so, uh, like I said, you'll be blown away by Pam. Um, she's uh, an amazing activist. We need more people like her, um, you know, creating that space. They're far too, for far too long, there have been people, gatekeepers, who have said, this is Christianity. This is the line. Don't cross it. And if you do, you are out. It's time we break that damn gate. It's time we erase that line and start looking beyond just what we, you know, what we think is right. <laughs> 
I know, man. I know it's difficult. I know, I know, I know. Somebody called me out on it years ago, over a decade ago, and it started me on a journey, and I'm thankful for it now. I wasn't at the time, but I'm thankful for it now. And so Pam is going to take us on this journey and kind of talk a little bit about her own life and just some of the struggles that she's had, um, you know, being who she is. Check this out, y'all. So, again, subscribe, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, WhiteHodgePodcast.com. That's where all the show notes lay. Um, if you just listen to the first time, thank you. Welcome. Um, and uh, I, I always recommend go back and listen to episode 00. And my story is episode one back in season one. So without any further ado, y'all, here's the great Pam Rocker. That sounds great. At the end of the day, I think uh, we've gotten some good conversations. I was just looking at your website. Man, that uh, spoken word piece you got on there. Woo, that is powerful stuff right there. <laughs> Thank you. That was actually the very first time that I really told my coming out story. They had invited me as part of the coming out monologues that's hosted here in Calgary um, and they said, can you tell your coming out story in five minutes? <laughs> and oh, man. I was like, okay. And actually it was, I, it turned out to be a gift because I just sat down and I thought, how can I highlight the different ages of what I was experiencing to get from zero to at that point in, you know, 30 something. And, and so I just chose like sort of pivotal ages of what was happening internally and sometimes externally in my life to highlight that. And, and so it was actually, you know, sometimes it's a gift for those constrictions because then you're able to really focus on what are the key points of what I want to say. Right. So right. I appreciate that. It's, it has been really powerful to be able to share that story. And, you know, it's something that I wish that I had seen when I was 12. Right. Right. Yes, man, alive. Yes, now that is that is the truth. That's a double truth, Ruth, right there. That's yeah, and I, and you know, and that's one of the things I'm thankful of of this era. You know, in particular, is there are more stories, there are more connections. I mean, I think about somebody who was in the '70s or '80s or even the '90s for that matter, and trying to come out and trying to deal with this, particularly uh, you know, at, you know, dealing with the the concept of faith. Um, it, uh, yeah, there just wasn't really, there was a little ground for that. I mean, it just, and all the crap that it produced, you know, inside of people yeah. and then just the demonization of, of folks in the LGBTQ community. So I'm, I'm thankful that there's folks like yourself, which is another reason, like I said, I just, I want to get this, but you know, get, get you out there and on, on my little platform and, and whatnot and, you know, keep referring back to, it. cause I actually use a lot of these podcasts in my classes and stuff as well. So this oh, is, wow, yeah. this, uh, this all, this all works out. It's all ties in. <laughs> well, and interesting you're talking about more things being accessible online because, you know, I am lucky because the internet did exist when I was a teen. I was still dial up and there was no way I was, you know, Googling anything because I don't even think Google was a thing even in the late 90s. Yeah. And I remember sort of trying, I don't know if it was Yahoo or something, I was trying to like secretly find, you know, at that time, chat rooms to just find any other gay people or lesbians who uh, wanted to still talk about God. And I just was like, you know, the question that we all have at so many times in our lives is, am I alone? Right. And especially growing up in such a, a bubble, you know, which protected me in some ways in good ways, but also restricted me in even more ways. I really, I mean, that was, you know, people say that, but it, 
I think it's important to remember that like you really do sometimes feel like, oh, am I the only person who feels this way? And so I remember logging on and trying to just find a lesbian chat room. And and all I could find was like 40 year old lesbians who were like, I'm having a great time fishing in Wisconsin, you know, and I was like, okay, well, right. I'm, you know, 19 and I'm freaking out about life and, you know, and so I couldn't really find anybody who was like me via that medium. And, and so now I'm so thankful that especially people in rural communities where, you know, they may not know, of course, there are LGBTQ people everywhere all the time, but they may not know who is out or not. And they don't have access to safe places at school or in their faith community. You know, at least they can Google, you know, and find something on YouTube or somewhere, somebody that is similar to their experience. And so I'm so thankful for that because of course we need communities that we can meet up in person and have that personal connection. But Right now we have, you know, that gift of being able to find that experience that is only a few, you know, on our fingertips, just a few seconds away. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Wow, man. That's well, I mean, that's the truth. I mean, I think I mean, you're right. I mean, when you talk about, you know, being 19, being of that age and just all the things that come with that. I mean, I know when I was 19, I, you know, I was, was, yeah, just searching for, for anything, any kind of just, you know, kind of just steadiness and, you know, it was already enough just being at that age, being a black male. But, you know, on I didn't have that that other I mean, I didn't I was cis. I'm, I'm cis heterosexual. So it's like there was that. I mean, I loved in your spoken word piece where you talked about it. it's like, OK, I'm going to be married now. So everybody will think I'm, you know, I'm straight. I got a got a husband. And mm-hmm. all. I'm like, man, that is that is that is that's deep. That's powerful. I mean, that's, you know, and just like those those things that get put up. So, you know, to look normal or not or to not appear to be too strange or off. I mean, again, that's, you know, that's that's moving. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I was 19, I was uh, two weeks after I turned 20, I got married to a guy. Wow. And that was a normal age in my community to get married. I mean, if you waited much longer than that, then definitely people would be worried about you um, <laughs> yeah. because sort of. Age 18 and 19, it's like, okay, you've graduated high school and now, you know, start building a family. And so it was really, it was really like in line with everybody around me, because if they weren't married yet at 20 or engaged, um, you know, some of them were even starting to have kids at that time, which, you know, for some people that is what they choose and and I would never judge it, but it was sort of this expectation that this is the next step. And I think especially when you're just trying to figure yourself out, yeah, it makes it even more complex because you're making a decision at an age where you're still developing and trying to figure out who you are. I mean, I'm, I st- I'm 36 now and I'm still trying to figure that out. And it really does a disservice to allowing, you know, our young people, especially to just figure out who they are before they make these really huge life decisions. And I do remember, it's interesting because now people, you know, will tell me because I am so gay and, and, <laughs> and um, super gay. And, oh, and now they're funny. I don't know if I believe and, you're 36 either though, Pam Rocker. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, know about that that water I, y'all drinking over there <laughs> i just put a little lemon and ginger if anyone wants to know um, <laughs> there you go but oh man i gave away my secret but you know <laughs> i think 
I think at the same time, you know, it's important because so many people are surprised you were married to a man and, you know, how did anyone not guess and sort of, you know, mm. and I thought, okay, you know, when you're in a, a really restrictive religious community, um, people, yeah, people are trying to, you know, sometimes find out if you're not living, you know, in the right way that they believe should be right. But at the same time, you know, I was as much a part of it too. And I was complicit in, you know, sort of enforcing those ideals upon other people. I mean, I remember often judging people and making homophobic comments, right? Mm. Out of, you know, an internal um, hatred of myself and yeah. also this feeling that I was really struggling with of I'd been told these binary ideas of what was right and what was wrong. And what I heard about people like me was those people doing those horrible things, right? Yeah, yeah. And I and I couldn't relate personally with the horrible things that they were talking about. And so I was like, well, then I guess I'm, I, I'm not gay because those things don't occur to me. And I also think that they're horrible um, to hurt other people. And so I was having my own internal struggle. And at the same time as sometimes I would think, yeah, I think I'll marry a woman. I also was like, yeah, of course I'm not gay. Right. And <laughs> those things, you know, I mean, and anybody who's had to repress a piece of themselves, yeah. like, I mean, we just know so deeply that that repression is so powerful that all of those things are just so compartmentalized inside of us. And because I did, and I do have such a, a deeply rooted faith um, to figure out how I could integrate that into being who I was without losing everything else. Um, because eventually I did lose most everything mm. else, you know, mm. and I wasn't ready at those ages. I couldn't have handled the loss that I experienced then. Wow. And so I think you just try to do what you can do to survive. And, you know, I never went into getting married to my ex-husband um, thinking that I would come out ever, you know, mm. I, I never, I never approached it thinking, okay, one day I'll, I'll get out of this. I, I approached it thinking this is, this is the option available to me. And I would like to experience, um, a relationship and, and to live life with someone. And he was a good, a great person. And, you know, so I think, I think often when people see in hindsight, they, and they can't really believe you know, even, even other LGBTQ people who are like, how could you do that to him? And I'm like, really, you know, um, <laughs> how could I do that to all of us? And, you know, definitely I, you know, I understand the pain that it caused everybody, but I think also the deeper root is we have this systemic shame and yes. shame messes with you and, and, you know, dangling the loss of belonging over your head. Oh my gosh, we all want to belong. Right. Right. And, and we want to know that we're loved by God. And when people are telling us we won't be, if you're this way, then we'll go to great lengths to still, you know, do what in their minds is holy. Right. Man, this is powerful. This is, this is good. So, well, uh, so let me ask this. I mean, I got so many questions. <laughs> so mm. let me, let me, uh, let me ask this. What, what would then was it like then growing up? I mean, for you, I mean, some of, some of the, you know, the, you know, without getting into the, you know, oh, tell us your testimony. But I mean, I mean, part of that is like, you know, what is it? What is a post soul testimony look like? What was that, you know, growing up? What were some of the nuances, you know, that happened again? And and, and, I, and I'm hopeful if you say yes, I'd love to play that spoken word at the beginning of this podcast and, you know, just let folks uh, listen to some of that and, you know, kind of get a taste of that. But I'd, I'd just be curious, like, you know, what has brought you from point A to point now? 
Yeah. I mean, it's really nuanced. I, that's the right word because, yeah. um, there's so much of my childhood that I loved. Um, I was homeschooled and All I right. have three, three older siblings and that actually gave me tremendous freedom to do a lot of creative things. I, I drew, I, I played music, you know, I, I did a lot of things that my peers who were in public school, they would come home and, and do schoolwork after school, which I, I couldn't understand that. I was like, but you just were in school for eight hours. This is what is happening. <laughs> and they were worried about what they were wearing every day. And I'm like, just wear jean shorts, of course, you know? And so, um, you know, I appreciated the freedom that it gave to me for all of those reasons. Yeah. At the same time, you know, the reason why my parents chose that is because they wanted to have control over what we learned and to make sure that in their minds, it was biblically based. Right. And so we had curriculum that was Christian homeschool curriculum. And so, Mm. um, we did definitely learn the basics. Uh, you know, I have, I don't have a lack of education in that sense, but the, the addition, you know, Bible, literally Bible was one of the subjects from, when I was five to when I graduated. And so, hmm. you know, having that integrated on top of going to conservative churches and my parents always being involved in church and, and me being deeply involved, you know, that you just feel like this is the only way that people can believe and everyone else is wrong. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. and you know what, there's some safety in that. Like I understand yeah. now mm-hmm. I mean, when you feel like you have the answer and you can know whether you're in or out and, and then it, you know, there's some power that we all have to admit that feels good about feeling like we can decide who's in or out. Mm. And, Mm. you know, so there, there was definitely, you know, moments in my life that did, did sort of stop me in my tracks. I remember one of my, my good friends um, got married at a young, younger than me at a young age. And her, her husband ended up leaving her, um, like on Christmas Eve, like it was on, um, and after they'd been married for six months. And I, and I remember I had such a tension inside myself between, you know, feeling such empathy for her and sadness. And then at the same time, this judgment of, but you, you still can't get divorced. Mm. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I look back now and I'm so ashamed that those, that that thought of, of judging her even came into my mind, but, but that's what, what I was taught. Right. And so I think growing up when I was little, um, you know, I, I tell people that the first story that I wrote when I was five was, um, I love my puppy. I love my mom. I love Jesus. And I ended with, I love my puppy. Mm. And, you know, just for emphasis on the puppy, even though I didn't have one, I think I didn't have one. I, it was a hint to my mom, I think, but, you know, at that young age, like I had such this, this deep sort of instinctual connection to, to the divine, to this, this idea of being cared for. And, and I think it was so pure. and, And I think it's, you know, that's, it really makes me sad because we all have like this spiritual birthright of feeling that connection from the moment we're born. And, and then I can see how that played out through the rest of my childhood where it became less about an inherent sense of belonging and more about what can I do to, to 
to still belong and to make sure I'm not kicked out of the boat. Right. Wow. That's a good analogy. Yeah. And, and so after, you know, it took me a quarter of a century to, to really have that idea, you know, uh, shaken up and, and, you know, I look back to, and, you know, I think it's really easy. It would be easy for me to, you know, cast my parents as villains, um, in this, but I really appreciate who they are. I mean, they've been married for something like 44 years and they love each other and believe it or not, like each other. And, um, (laughs) yeah, there you go. And, you know, if anyone wanted to make a case that, that I saw, you know, a bad heterosexual relationship growing up and that's why I'm gay. I mean, I, I would prove them wrong. Um, I know that they did their best. Right. And I know that they, they really believed in what they're doing and that for them is really core. But at the same time, I'm glad that I have moved in a different direction now because I think I no longer see my faith um, practice and journey as a house of cards where, oh man, if I, if I think something different than this, then nothing that I believe is true, right? Yeah, because that's yeah. sort of, that's a really powerful way to, to keep people in that, right? Mm. And, and hopefully now it's more expansive. And I really think that, you know, not that I think that I was quote unquote, made to go through this so that I would learn some empathy, but I'm thankful for being gay. I'm thankful for being a part of the queer community because I say, honestly, I don't know what I would think about queer folks if I hadn't had to go through this journey. Wow. Because it's so powerful. I mean, it's, it's unbelievably powerful and, and it actually feels really good to feel like you can decide where people are going to go after they die and you can decide Mm. all of the right and wrong on your own. And, and that really, you know, I, I try to be really transparent. It wasn't an altruism for me to say, wow, I also need to accept other people. It was really having that idea like cracked out of me Mm. and for me to say, okay, if I believe that I'm accepted, then really there's no in or out there's no one on the outside because I'd been told my whole life from a very young age that there was an inside and outside and that our job was to get people on the inside and, and going through the journey of coming out and even just of getting divorced. I mean, that was bad enough in itself in that and, and my circles, you know, to me, it really opened my eyes to, okay, Pam, if, if you're okay, then you have to also get on board and advocate for all of the other folks who we normally say are on the outside Mm. and really invited me and compelled me into this different way of being a person of faith because, um, you know, I was like, I can't, I can't wrap my head around that. I'm the only person on the margins who really is accepted. Like, what does this mean now yeah. for what, what my faith needs to look like in action? And I think in that way, it came back to the core of what the, that story when I was five mm-hmm, meant mm-hmm. of about love and about this instinctual thing that is so often used against us, but this sense of we can never not belong and we can never be lost because we're always found. And so I think that that, that sort of helps, you know, strengthen me in the moments when I do feel isolated in, in the world or in my work that, 
you know, I'm not lost and neither is anyone else. And so how am I called in my life now that I've been given lots of opportunity and that I have found a community that, that gives me a platform and, and provides so much support like uh, all the time I'm thinking, how do I give that back? And I do it really imperfectly, but to that sense of our childhood sense of belonging that we should all have yeah. um, in terms of whatever spiritual practice makes sense to us. I mean, for me, it's Christianity, but whatever that might mean to anyone. Um, and I feel an immense responsibility to continue that and hopefully make other people's journeys a little bit shorter than the 25 years it took me to, to start that. Yeah, well, I'd be interested just like for you and, and where you're at, why still Christianity, given all the, the, the mess ups? Because I get this this question a lot, but I'd be curious to hear your response to it. Like, why still Christianity? Why not something else, something Eastern or, you know, something? I mean, I know in particularly in the black community, a lot of folks go either to Rastafarianism, Nation of Islam um, and and so or Zulu, the Zulu nation. So I'm just curious, like for you, what what kept you grounded in, in, in Christianity? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> um, if you could tell me, uh, that'd be awesome. <clears throat> well, yeah. I think to, to be honest, sometimes I don't know, hmm. right? Um, because when different things happen in the world and I see how a lot of Christian leaders respond, yeah, it feels really difficult to, you know, in my title, you know, when the comma after my name is a Christian organization that I'm representing. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's really hard. And, and there's been many points where I thought, you know, whatever my personal practices is fine, but am I causing more pain? Am I, you know, am I a part of something that's bringing more harm than good? And that is a question that Mm. often I ask myself and I think ultimately it comes down to, for me, I don't want to let anybody else's voice about what Christianity means yeah. to me, to limit my access to what is meaningful for me. And right now in my life, the story of Jesus and and the things that, that really make sense to me and help inform some ways that I wanna be in the world, is rooted in in Christianity and, and my understanding and hopefully my openness to continuing to find out what even that means. So mm. I don't have like a sure answer around it other than I think I lived my whole life feeling like I had to get permission to still be a part of it. And part of my evolution, I think, is saying no one gets to tell me what I have access to. Mm. And no one gets to define for me what Christianity is. And no other person who calls themselves a Christian gets to decide for me what that looks like. And it doesn't mean that I don't feel conflict. It doesn't mean that it's not supremely complex. But I think for me to own my identity as a person of faith is is important. And so I try to give myself permission to sit in the weirdness of it sometimes. And even sometimes when I'm in church, which I'm so used to, I sit there and I think we're all singing these weird songs and we get up <laughs> and shake each other's hands yeah, and we stand up at weird times. And, you know, I mean, there are just so many things that if you, to the naked eye are like, why do we do this? You know, but at the core <laughs> of it, I mean, I think it is, 
at its best, at its best, any spiritual gathering, any spiritual practice is a gathering agent. And so I think in a world where we have always had um, div division and polarization, and, and I think even more and more right now, it seems to be even more prevalent. Or or for some of us, it, it's maybe the first time where we realize that it's been happening forever, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, where, where other communities are like, yeah, welcome to the club. We already knew this. So I think even more so right now, um, it's just so important to me that we do have gathering places where we can be with other people and not only to be accepted, but to be challenged because, I mean, I think I had such a deep desire to be a part of a, of a spiritual community um, to, to not just, I'm like, can we just, you know, n stop trying to change an immutable characteristic of me being gay. Like I want to learn how to not be greedy <laughs> like I, I want to not be as selfish. Like I want to, I want to be better at learning yeah. what this means. Yeah. And so I think that for me, what, what faith does now or, or in, you know, once in a while, what it does for me is it reminds me who I am. It doesn't try to change me, but it tries to get back to the core of who I am. And I think that that's an interesting thing because it's, it's, you know, Richard Rohr talks about, original blessing versus mm. original sin, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think the times when I know that I'm not acting in line, it's not because um, I'm really bad and I just have blocked it by being good once in a while. It's because at the core, I know that we are good and and it's not trying to add things onto us. It's, it's really trying to strip back the things that we're trying to pile on to get back to the core, which I believe is connected to something bigger than myself. And I think that church, however weird it is sometimes, even to me, even when I'm planning it, um, it helps me to connect to that core. And so um, any chance that we have for gathering, any chance that we have for introspection and reflection on who we are, how we love ourselves and others better. Mm -hmm. And for me right now, that makes sense. It may not always be the case. Um, and I, I try to leave myself you know, an openness to, to be open to what else may be there. But for me right now, it just makes sense. And I think that anything, any, any reason right now that I would deviate from that would be pressure from people who are practicing it. in a really, I would say, um, intellectually lazy way and in a way that doesn't really reflect the love that I believe is available to everybody. Wow. 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 Man, there's so many good things there, man. That's, that's awesome. I like that. That's, that's, that's really good. So, all right. So in this era, and I don't know, you know, how much you're affected by, you know, our, our illustrious, uh, administration here in Washington, DC, but, mm -hmm. uh, just the rhetoric that comes out, um, you know, now we have this, you know, Supreme court nominee Kavanaugh, which, you know, it's just, I, my humble opinion needs just bad news. And so we're reliving Anita Hill and the whole thing all over again. Mm -hmm. How do you navigate some of those, those corners? Because at least here, you know, here in, 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 around my context, you know, a lot of folks are still very conservative. You know, I was just having a conversation with an affiliate. I wouldn't even necessarily call him a friend, but an affiliate, uh, about I like that. I'm taking, I'm stealing that. <laughs> there you go. Take that, take it. <laughs> uh, um, 
you know, because we were, you know, because he was just talking about like, oh, you know, how can you have gay folks on there and, you know, this, this and this and that. I mean, you know, so he's still coming from the, oh, it's a sin. I mean, how do you navigate some of those conversations and, and whatnot? I mean, and I love the response that you just said. No one else gets to define, uh, you know, what Christianity is for you. I love that. Uh, so, so how, you know, so, I mean, and I don't know how that is in, in your context. Maybe it's not. I mean, maybe maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a lot different. Um, I just know in some of the conservative circles that I've tried to pull myself away from, um, you know, there's still that, like, we can talk about race and justice and equality and equity and all those great buzzwords. But the minute we get to gender and sexuality, it's like, oh, oh, well, that's 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 biblical. I mean, I I can't mess with that. You know, I'm just like, right. yo, yo, hold up, man. Hold hold up. Hold the hell up. So <laughs> I don't know what you what, what you think. What you think, Pam Rocker? Oh, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, so uh, interestingly, I I live in Canada. I've been here for almost longer than I lived in the States, but I'm a dual citizen. Um, nice. And nice. I grew up, I grew up mostly in Texas. And so, oh, all right. um, even though I definitely am a step removed for sure. I mean, that's, that's also part of my roots as well. Um, and so even though I'm not as in tune, obviously, because I'm not on the ground there, it definitely, troubles me greatly um many of the things that are happening right now and and rightly so and rightly worried about my friends who are in the states doing movement work there um in sometimes an often more uh risky uh landscape so yeah um and i would say here it's interesting because a lot of people assume that canada is this you know uh, land of prairies and mountains and, and polar bears <laughs> and beauty and that we have no hate, you know, and, um, it, it's really interesting because actually just, just yesterday we had, you know, I spent almost the whole afternoon with a group of clergy, um, doing media interviews and making statements because there was, um, a quote, uh, uh, apostle who came yeah. from, uh, Nigeria here to, uh, speak with one of his congregations. And he had all of these, uh, YouTube videos, clips of his sermons where he talks about, um, you know, uh, enacting violence on LGBTQ people and on Muslims. And so we were, you know, trying to make a statement to local authorities and to, um, our politicians and, you know, also trying to put some positive words of love out there because um, definitely there are so many people who don't agree with that. And, you know, so even here um, and right now in Alberta where I live, um, conversion therapy, which is, uh, you know, sort of code language for trying to get LGBTQ people to not be themselves and to basically act cisgender or straight yes. um, is, is still legal, right? It's, and so it's only illegal in two out of our 13 provinces. And, um, you know, I, I just did a bunch of media around that because there's a proposed bill going to our, our legislature to ban this practice that is really harmful. And it's, and it's a public safety issue. I mean, so many people, uh, complete suicide because of being, you know, being a part of those programs targeted all ages. Right. And there's 10 churches just in Calgary, um, who have these programs. And and one of them is the biggest evangelical church in Canada. So, you know, in our context, I think it's, it's interesting because I would say that 
a core problem that we have here is apathy because so many people Mm. think that because, you know, equal marriage was, you know, became legal um, in 2005 on a federal level that everything's just solved. And now that um, people can marry, uh, you know, the same gender that everything's fine and that, you know, Oh, well do trans people need protections? Oh, really? You know, like <laughs> yeah. there's just, there's that sort of was the end of the fight for a lot of folks. And I think that what you pointed out is, is the key is that even when it comes to um, this, you know, uh, preacher who was coming into Canada to, you know, continue to spread hate speech, yeah. which by the way, um, you know, is, is partly, uh, because of colonization. And so I'm not trying to villainize African countries. Um, and believe me, we also have plenty of homophobic people right here. Um, but you know, I wanted to point out what you said, because I think still for some reason, um, and I know that it's been strategic over the years, the idea of religious freedom comes in most often when we're talking about LGBTQ people mm-hmm. um, because it's still seen as something that's against religious ideals. Whereas I think less so, at least in my circles, do people try to say that racism is okay because of the Bible, yeah, right? Right. Even though racism is included in the Bible, in many instances. And so I think that, that there's still this idea that when we're talking about queer folks, it's okay to say whatever we want because of those seven or nine verses. Um, And so it it really puzzles me because I think it's, it's hugely about dehumanizing people. And when we talk about it so often, I even was in a, in a meeting at a church, I was leading a workshop and somebody said, you know, I, I definitely, want gay people to, to, you know, be okay. But, you know, I just heard that they just are, are really crazed sexually. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh. And I was like, oh, mercy. Mm, I wish, you know, but you know, I was just thinking there's been such a strategy over the years to take the person and take the identity out of it and make it about behavior and make it about sex and yes. not yes. about identity. Right. And there are many people who, you know, express themselves in relationships and intimacy many different ways. But for some reason, um, and I think mostly religious people and and rhetoric has succeeded in some ways in really dehumanizing LGBTQ people. And when we dehumanize people, we feel like we can perpetuate whether it's spiritual or physical or emotional violence on them. And we can even feel like we can say we're doing it on behalf of God or, Absolutely. you know, I, I, I wish I could accept them, but the Bible, right. Right. And, right. you know, I always say, you know, a fifth grade understanding of the Bible is dangerous even for a fifth grader. Right. Because once we Ooh. are using the Bible as a weapon like that and, you know, and I think so often people accuse me of picking and choosing, you know, making the Bible a cafeteria. And I'm like, um, I'm pretty sure you do the same thing. And here's the nine reasons why, you know, I, which of course I say with as much pastoral love as I can, but, you know, I think, (laughs) I think it comes back to, you know, um, in terms of my experience here, it's part of it is letting people know that this still exists 
and that homophobia and transphobia are still very much alive. I talk to everyone from 13 year old trans youth to, you know, 65 year old CEOs of oil companies who both have the same fear that if they come out, Mm -hmm. they will risk, um, losing their job, losing their home, losing their family, losing the respect of their peers, losing employment and status. And I think it's just a little bit more subversive here because people think that the law protects you and many times it doesn't. So even though, for example, marriage has been, equal marriage has been legal for 13 years, I would say close to 98% of churches still won't perform same gender marriages in their church. So we can have a policy. And as you know, in the States, you can have policies that sound great, but what did they actually do to protect people and to honor the way that they live and the way that they express themselves? And there's a big disparity between that. So I think I definitely enjoy lots of protections here. And I'm privileged in many ways. Um, I'm white and I'm cisgender and middle-class. And I definitely, you know, know that that's, that I experience way less um, oppression because of those things. But I would say as a whole in the hundreds of people I've worked through, you know, doing this work for almost a decade, um, there's still so much risk to people being themselves. Wow, man, man, that is, yeah, no, absolutely. And man, 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 that's great. No, that's, that's a beautiful thing. So let me ask this then. So I, you know, looking on your website and everything, what is some of the current work that you do? And have you always done this type of work? Like, have you been in quote unquote ministry uh, and, and whatnot? I mean, if you even define it as, as, as that, I mean, but how, what, what is some of the work that you do and maybe how you ended up, you know, in, in, you know, where you're at right now in terms of, you know, employment and church and all yeah. that good stuff. I mean, I I never thought after I came out that I would ever probably even sit in or work in a church ever again. (laughs) So it's, it's kind of hilarious to me that like, I'm like the most religious person in my family. And, and like somebody was asking me the other day to borrow a fiction book for a road trip. And literally I have like a hundred books in my house. They're all like theological books. And the only fiction (laughs) book I had was animal farm. There you go. (laughs) Um, And so I did not imagine um, this life at all. And, you know, the, the, the impetus was it, uh, it all was actually, um, I was seeing before I came out sort of in my journey, I was seeing this former Jesuit priest who I knew was gay. Uh, He was a counselor. And so I went to start Mm. seeing him because I wanted to talk to somebody who was gay and to make sure they wouldn't try to convert me. And, (laughs) because <laughs> uh, I'm like, I'm done with that part. And he, I said, you know what? I had taken, you know, a break from church and I thought, you know, I, I'll have to go to San Francisco to be able to, to go to a church that really accepts me. And, you know, I, I asked him, I said, is there any church in town that you would know that would, you know, be affirming to me in any way? And he said, well, I know that there's this one church downtown and I see this little rainbow sticker on their sign. And I mean, I mean, little, I mean like two by four, right. Mm. Uh, inches. And, um, I didn't say centimeters just, just so you know, I just tried to, I translated <laughs> it. <laughs> there you go. That's right. That's right. We're so backwards back here. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for, thanks for that. I appreciate that. It, that, it is my first language. So that's fine. <laughs> 
Um, I came oh, here. I'm like, great. what's a gram? How many grams of, of deli meat do I need? I don't know. Oh. Just give me, give me three inches tall. Right. Of a pile. right. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> give me that smoked meat. So anyway, he told me, and, and long story short, I ended up visiting this church and I really sheepishly went in thinking, you know, hopefully this isn't a trick. And I happened to go on the very Sunday, I had no idea what it even meant, that they were celebrating becoming an affirming church. Ah. And so they were lighting rainbow candles and somebody was sharing that this is the first church that they went to, that they were able to say, my wife, and no one blinked an eye. Believe me, I was blinking <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. And even though I had started to come out a little bit in my personal life, it was revolutionary to me to be in a sanctuary and to hear people like me talking and in a positive way. And people were clapping, you know, at what they were saying. And all of the children were there. And it was just, it blew my mind. Hmm. And you know, I remember going for, you know, they had lunch after the service. And so I went and I, you know, I thought I need to talk to somebody. And so I sat by somebody, I was eating church lasagna and drinking church juice as you do. And <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> and I sat next to somebody kind of my age. And I just thought, I said, I, can you believe, like, I can't even believe this. You, this is an affirming church, like it, you know, which basically means fully accepting of LGBTQ people in every area of ministry, participation and leadership. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I said this to her and she goes, Oh, you know, I think most churches are like this. And I was like, what? I wanted to flip the table and say, no, <laughs> they are not. That's right. So basically right. That, that started my sort of journey and in saying, okay, I have this deep desire to, to be in faith community and to serve in this way, but I didn't think I'd be able to because, you know, I'd been involved as a missionary in, in evangelical churches up until then. And, and so I ended up starting to work at that church and I ended up starting to lead our affirming ministry there. And I was at that church for eight years. And then just this year, I actually, um, I partnered with some other organizations and I started something called Affirming Connections. Nice. And basically our mandate is to support and work alongside any affirming ministry in Calgary. And we have 20 and also to be a support for those um, organizations or leaders who are curious about becoming affirming or have questions or, you know, maybe they're struggling to get their congregation to sort of understand what that might mean for them theologically or as a community. So, um, and I also do a lot of meetings with individuals, sort of resourcing meetings, because um, like I mentioned before, lots of individuals really struggle to reconcile their faith identity with their sexual or gender identity. And so, you know, sort of on an individual basis and an organizational basis, my hope is to, you know, make sure that the experience, the good experience I had is really universal for a lot of folks. And so, you know, now I sort of moved from being in that one church to being a position where I can be as available as possible to any community um, and any denomination who is saying, okay, what does this affirming thing mean for us? And is it needed? Um, you know, is it theologically sound? You know, all of the things that sort of are the the FAQs when people begin to sort of 
you know, uh, unfold a little bit and maybe think that it's not as binary as they might have thought. And, you know, so that just started in March. So that's a, a pretty new project. But, okay. you know, even even the last couple of days, you know, with the the work we've, that we've been doing to support the ban on a conversion therapy here in Alberta and also to gather affirming faith leaders to, you know, speak against the hate that we still hear. Um, that feels really empowering. And, and I think as I'm sure, you know, like as many colleagues that we might have, this work can be really isolating still because you sort of feel like you're a little drop in the ocean, you know, trying to, to make a difference. And so I think as much as we can band together and remind each other that we're not alone, that's what, I mean, that's the only way to sustain ourselves in, yeah. in work. Yeah, no, absolutely. Which is, um, you know, one of the reasons I've appreciated, you know, some spaces like Wild Goose and, you know, in similar spaces, you know, just talk with folks and connect with folks who are, you know, in, in similar work. And I mean, I, yes, a- absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And so, well, so, I mean, in looking at your, um, your bio, you also talk about like comedian, like or you do stand up and, and, and whatnot as well. Well, well, most of the the comic work that I do is through music. So okay. um, for four years, I was, um, I co-founded a queer feminist ukulele comedy band. Nice. Nice. <laughs> and we were the top in our genre all the time. And so for four years, we did concerts. We, um, you know, we taught we would go to women and gender studies classes at universities and play our music and talk about why it was important. And all of our songs were rooted in, you know, queer feminist ideals. Right. And, and also just telling stories um, about our experiences, because how often, you know, you even think you're here, here on the radio, you hear a woman talking um, about female pronouns as a love interest. Right. Hmm. It doesn't happen. Right. And so, um, in, in popular music and even in popular media, you have to really search a little bit, you know, not a little bit, a lot harder to like even just casually hear anything that represents your experience. You have to do all the translation work. And so our hope was to create these really hilarious um but also really authentic experiences for people where they could come and hear about their experience or they could come and hear about an experience that they never were subject to before. So we had songs on everything from street harassment to um, lesbian stereotypes. We had a whole queer holiday set where it was all, we queered up all the holiday music and, and, um, you know, we, we turned, um, do you hear what I hear into something seems quite queer here about that Mary, <laughs> Mary was actually a lesbian and she had in vitro and that's how Jesus was born, you know, and sort of just like bringing a queer perspective to the stories that we always hear, but, you know, inserting ourselves where history has erased us into yeah. that idea. And so now I'm, I do that work solo. And so this spring I started doing the work solo. And so in terms of my comic work, like I really feel like activism shouldn't be a drag. I mean, it is in some ways, but also being able to laugh and exploring ideas through comedy is, mm-hmm. is really effective because I'm not only interested in, um, you know, doing things the quote unquote right way, but doing things in a way 
that works. And I see how comedy works. I see how that changes people and invites them in versus always calling them out. And so we would have, you know, many experiences and I still do now where people come and, and they say, oh, I never, uh, I never thought that you didn't have any music about you or, or, oh, wow, I never realized that's what it's like to be a woman walking in the world and having so many people trying to insert themselves and take up your time while you're just trying to walk to a coffee shop. You know, yeah. and so I think that I, I'm passionate about that piece too because I feel when I'm doing that work, it's the same thing as when I'm doing a sermon. You mm. are sharing, you know, something. You're you're sharing a, a piece of yourself or something that you're learning and working through, and inviting people who feel like they may resonate with it to join along in that story with you. And so, you know, through that work, I feel, you know, sometimes I feel like that's a more um, divine experience for me than being in a church because I'm able to be in those spaces. And I actually wrote this song called it, um, gay Lake of fire. And it's to the tune of mm. ring of fire by, by Johnny cash and June Carter. No cash. Way. <laughs> because <laughs> there was a politician here who said, um, some years ago that all gay people should be rounded up and thrown into the lake of fire. Oh, um, which I thought, well, where is this? And, you know, is there a hot tub there too, you know? And so, <laughs> you know, the first song that I wrote when I started doing this work was, was Gay Lake of Fire because I wanted to speak back to this idea because even people who didn't grow up in religious homes, if there's one thing that we know about religion, it's this idea of eternal punishment. Yeah. And so I wanted to speak back into that. And so, you know, I, I talk about this lake of fire and I talk about that, you know, it's really amazing because Ellen's on my karaoke team and Janelle Monet is my roommate and, <laughs> you know, all these things. And, you know, all that you need is a rainbow towel to come, you know, you can jet ski on it on the lake of fire. And to really sort of reclaim that wording and to, you know, and, and when I'm in those spaces that are not spaces, um, they're not churches that I, that I sing in uh, 95% of the time, you know, I'm able to share, especially when I, when I sing that song, I'm able to share that I'm a person of faith and, and that, that, that those words that have been used against me and so many others for so long, are not true for me. Hmm. And that is not a belief I have. And honestly, I have songs that I think are way funnier and more, you know, nuanced or whatever, but that is the most requested song. And wow. over and over again, I'll get people emailing me and talking to me afterwards, you know, sort of in hushed tones saying, oh, I mean, you're a Christian and and you're saying that that maybe hell isn't where I'm going. Mm. Right. Yeah. And, and these are people who have been out for a long time in relationships, but it is so that, that shame and that messaging is so severe yes. that it leaves such deep wounds. And so my hope is doing, doing that work, um, which is completely amazing that I even get to do it is to just shine a little light and, and to, you know, create these experiences that I wish I had had, I wish that I'd be able to hear a queer performer when I was 16, you know, I wish that I got to hear about, oh yeah, it is really weird that when you're on a date with an, 
you know, as a woman with another woman, when you go to the bathroom, you're in the same bathroom and oh my gosh, <laughs> like I can't do anything in this bathroom while she's in here, you know? Yeah. And, wow. you know, just to like be able to also laugh at our experiences and be human, you know? And so that's sort of the piece around comedy that really makes sense to me. And that I feel like I, I mean, that's just a huge, I don't even know how I got to do that work and how I still get to do it on my own. I mean, it's amazing. So, I mean, I try to say yes as many times as possible, whether it's a huge event. Um, we got to open for Margaret Cho a couple of years ago, which oh, was amazing. Nice. nice. And, you know, I try to do even small events, you know, at, at high schools to, you know, really huge events with, you know, hundreds of people, because I feel like, you know, I feel like if I were to describe what I feel like I'm called to do is um, to remind myself and others that we're not alone. Mm. And because so much pain goes from believing the lie that we are. And so many times people try to control us by that lie. And yes. to uncover that in any way that I can, in whatever setting, whether I'm holding a ukulele or a microphone or whatever, is such a huge, it's an amazing thing. Like I never would have imagined that I would not only be able to still be alive in this world, but to, but to get to do this work. And man, I feel so thankful for it. It's sad that the work is so needed. Yeah. I recognize that I have a platform and I don't want that to go to waste. Yes. Wow, man, that's powerful. You, you said a lot of good stuff there. That's, oh man, I'm going to hang my hat on that. Uh, um, <laughs> Well, Pam, this is this has been an amazing conversation. Um, where can where can where can people find you? Where where can they you know uh, holler at you to to bring you out and you know pay you a big honorarium and uh, you know get you on a private jet and the whole nine? Oh yeah, I'm I'm so ready for that. So <laughs> they can find me on Twitter at real Pam Rocker. Um, I, I'm literally the only real Pam Rocker with that legal name in the world. So nice. that's why I say real. And um, right now somebody's making that their legal name just to prove me wrong. But um, <laughs> I also have a, um, a Facebook page that people can like if they want to find out what I'm up to. And then um, I also have Oh, I have a podcast with Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza called Sacred and Profane. Mm, yes, it. a good one too. Yeah, on all of your major podcast platforms. And um, my email is available through my website if anybody wants to get in touch for any reason. And my booking page is there too. And just to connect, I mean, I'm also really interested about what other people are doing and that makes me feel less alone. Um, so I'm really happy if, if anybody is doing similar work or work that they think that I need to know about to help me be better in what I'm doing, I'm happy for those recommendations as well. Wow. And again, for those of you listening, I, as always, um, I will put these in the show notes at White Hodge Podcast dot com and definitely pump up uh sacred and profane i mean that's uh it's a great podcast i've had to listen so it's it's a good one as well so pam rocker uh thank you so much for coming on the show today thank you so much for having me dan i appreciate it oh absolutely no way i'm a christian and so is she we love each other spiritually but I wasn't gay, never gay. Gay is perverted, abusive, lurking, dirty, from the devil, worse than evil, worse than anything. Not me. Not me. 
my heart, cautious, leaking, beat, beat, beating heart, bleeding heart, hoping, praying. Now I'm 20, walking down the aisle. I smile. Wife to be, I can't say no. My man awaits. Now everyone will know I'm straight. Know I am safe to enter heaven's gates. I've sealed my fate with a ring, with a kiss, with a promise to love until I die. Die? I already had. Now I'm 25, still not alive, but I wonder way down deep. Could I have my breath again? Feel the same as when the girl with two colors in her eyes took me, took me by surprise and held my hands and made me dream that one day I could have it all. I wanted it all. I cried, I prayed, I held the weight, a judgment, rejection on my back. I lost, I lost so much, even the slightest touch of love. I looked above, would you love me less? If I confess that this is how you made me. The answer came slow. I bled and sweat mixed with fear tore me open. But I survived. And finally, finally, grace struck like a knife and cut away the pain. Now I'm 34 and I have known the kiss of a woman even more beautiful than the girl with two colors in her eyes. Now I've felt thighs and breasts and even more, I've felt rest. Peace, joy like I never knew before. So even though I feel my pain like a phantom limb that never really goes away, I feel more like I've been born again and my soul, along with my body, is free. Free heart, my heart, scarred but strong. Beat, beat, beating heart. Beating a rhythm for you.